man, we've got a lot to be thankful for. Um, but this morning, we transition towards Advent. If you didn't grow up in a faith tradition that celebrated Advent, um, the Sunday after Thanksgiving until the Sunday after Christmas uh, is what we call the Advent season, uh, these five weeks together. And what our series is going to be called for this Advent season is The Gift. And when I think about gifts, I think about one of two types of people. Y'all hear me say that a lot. There's two types of people in the world, right? And when it comes to gifts, there's, there's at least two types of people in the world. There's the people who believe that the gift has nothing to do with the wrapping. And the wrapping is actually an obstacle to the gift. And so receiving the gift is about removing the obstacle as quickly and as messily as possible. You just tear into a package, right? And then there's psychopaths who believe that tearing wrapping paper is like a cardinal sin, right? They slide their finger and pop the tape off, right? Three hours later, they're like, oh, look, a snow globe. I'm like, let's go, people, because we're all waiting to open our gifts until you are done with yours. So let's get on with it right now. If you grew up where you reuse wrapping paper, then you get a free pass. But for all the rest of us, if you like want to fold the wrapping paper up when you're done, truly, I think that's actually what the word Scrooge means. Let's open the gifts. We're going to focus on a different perspective of gifts. We're going to spend the next five weeks together talking about the wise men. Uh, I've actually never preached a series on the wise men before. Obviously, you can't talk about the Christmas story and not reference them. And so over the last 20 years or whatever, I know I've talked about the wise men, but never spent a whole series kind of parked there. Uh, and this idea of the gift, um, I just completely stole from Craig Groeschel. Uh, thought it was just genius, this idea of letting the the story of the wise men guide the conversation. And so I'm excited about this. I've, I've never preached on this before. The wise men are not even mentioned in the main Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. It's also not mentioned in Mark or in the Gospel of John. This is the only glimpse we have in the scriptures of these people that we call the wise men or the magi. Here's the thing. I'll be real honest with you for a minute, a little pastor talk here. It's quite a daunting, difficult task to find a way to talk about Advent year after year in a way that seems fresh, right? Um, in a way that seems that it will be engaging for people. Like there's this pressure of how am I going to find a new way to talk about this old story again for yet another year, which is why like the mega church pastors always like take a preaching sabbatical over Advent. They just show up and preach on the Christmas Eve service when everybody shows up. But here in this world, it looks like, okay, here, here we keep going. Now, I want to say I don't feel that pressure from you. Like I don't feel this pressure of, hey, entertain us, find a way to say this. I think that's pressure I'm probably putting on myself and every time I bring that difficulty to this story, I'm reminded of how timeless it is. And what the greatest story that's ever been told does not need is a facelift. It doesn't need a new approach. It doesn't need to be modernized. It doesn't need a, a, a new approach. We just need to reapproach it. Maybe what needs redone is our perspective or assuming that we already have learned everything that there is to learn. I do not believe the greatest story that's ever been told needs a facelift, but it does need some fact checking. 
Now, some of you, that's like a trigger phrase. Independent fact checkers have proven this to be whatever. The, the Christmas story does need some fact checking. Because some of what we believe about the Christmas story has been more informed by fairy tales and Christmas carols than by the scriptures. Some of what we believe specifically about the wise men has been more informed by a Christmas carol than by the scriptures themselves. And of course, I'm referencing the Christmas carol, We Three Kings, which literally is named inappropriately. So it begins with the word we. It is not an autobiographical Christmas carol. None of the wise men actually wrote that song. So it's not actually we, right? It was written by John Henry Hopkins in 1857. He was not one of the wise men. Three is also probably not correct. In almost every nativity scene, we see three super dressed up fancy dudes all up in the manger. And and we don't actually know that there was three. There were three gifts. That's why we usually see three wise men. And it is correct. According to the scriptures, there were three gifts. But it might have been two. All we know is it was plural. And I don't know if you know this, but the minimum number for plural is two. (laughs) Okay? The fact is, historians believe that guys of this stature actually traveled in in parties of 12. So if we're guessing at the number of wise men, there probably was 12 of them. And then historians say they would not have traveled alone. They would have had people to care for their belongings and for their animals. And they probably would have had security and protection if they had gifts so valuable and they were traveling such a great distance. And so the fact is, there might have been a whole mess of them. And they didn't show up at the manger. They showed up at the house. We've talked about that most Advent seasons I talked to you about. If your nativity scene at home has three wise men in it, I need you to move them across the living room. And for every day of Advent, just move them like a centimeter closer. And by next Christmas, they'll be halfway there. Okay, so we'll talk more about that uh, in in the coming weeks. And so we is not accurate. And three is not necessarily accurate. There may have been three. And then kings, where did we get, there's not a single English translation of the Bible who calls them kings. What, what, what in the John Henry Hopkins was he thinking? Calling them three kings. I don't know. Um, most translations call them wise men, which is pretty difficult to translate. What, what does that even mean? As opposed to everybody else in the Christmas story was dumb. Like, what does that mean? They're wise. Maybe you've read from an English translation that calls them magi, which is probably the best translation of what this group of people, more than one, was. They were magi, as in M-A-G-I, as in short for magic, as in short for magicians. Because now we're creeping up the Christmas story, right? We've completely ruined the Bahamba here. Um, They were probably... Ancient astrologers, people who studied the stars and then communicated what they saw there. There's a name for that. It's called divination. And it's not really looked upon super fondly in the scriptures. Kind of like witchcraft. God bless us, everyone. Just ruining somebody's Christmas right up here and now. 
So there's been this resurgence in the last 12 months or so in people's interest in astrology and in divination and horoscopes and then reading tarot cards and, and all of this. For those of you who are on TikTok or Snapchat, you've seen this has become this massive trend in the last year. That's really closer to what these dudes did for a living than calling them kings. Um, they, they believed, most of the world at this time believed that the gods communicated to humankind through the stars. So if you could read the stars and could tell what the gods were saying and then could deliver that message, then you were a pretty powerful and important mystical person, right? The Magi. So really what these guys were for a living, you ready for some festive Christmas spirit? You ready for this? They were pagan sorcerers. Merry Christmas, everybody. We three kings of voodoo. Like, no. This is what they did. What we're going to do for this series, though, uh, is look at their journey and look at the gifts that they brought with no understanding of what they represented. Because the stars of the story aren't the undefined number of wise men. The star of the story is the son of the living God made flesh among us. He's the star of every story. And so we're going to focus on him. Today we're specifically going to talk about the gift of the star. With every week in this series, we're going to talk about a gift that the wise men brought and then with the gift that Jesus was actually giving. Um, Because every one of their gifts kind of pale in comparison with his gift. And so this week we're going to look at the gift of the star. So grab your Bible, if you would, please. I invite you to hold it up in the air. We're going to say our creed together before we jump into this passage. So let's hold them up this morning and say this with some conviction together. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. And turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. While you're turning there, I want to point out uh, one thing about this series, and it, it corresponds with what I was just saying. The name of this series is not the gifts. It's the gift. Because it's not about gold or frankincense or myrrh or about their following of a star, and they're heading back home. Those are the five gifts that we'll look at with them. It's about the gift with a capital G, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. And what a great message for us that this is not about the gifts we get. It's about the gift of God's Son. Right? What an appropriate message. That'll be the theme for each week. This morning, what we'll do is we're going to read the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 2 to set the tone for our journey together here. Verse number 1, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men slash magi from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So notice they came to King Herod and asked him where the king was. That's going to create some tension. For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. 
he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. The chief priests and the scribes. Think with your Old Testament mind here. These are the people who know the Old Testament the best. They know the book of the law. They know the prophetic whispers of hope in the coming Messiah better than anyone. Right? And they're in Jerusalem. So these are the chiefest of the chief priests. These are the the most informed scribes of all the scribes. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem of Judea, for as it was written by the prophet, the prophet Micah, you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's called a messianic prophecy, a prophecy, a prophecy of the coming Messiah. Verse 7, then Herod, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to, to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, not the stable, they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is the story that will guide our conversation for this Advent series. And the first thing I want you to, to see is here in verse number 11, you, you see this, that they offered him gifts, that they they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshiped him. And here's what I want to say first out of this verse. Following after Jesus is the best gift they brought. The best gift they brought was not the gold was not the frankincense, was not the myrrh. The best gift they brought was himself, themselves. Which I think is really fitting for us today because the fact is God's probably not asking us for gold, although I do believe he calls us to entrust our resources with him. He's probably not called us to bring him frankincense today. If you put myrrh in the offering box today, I don't know what we'll do with it. But he is still calling us to offer ourselves in a fresh way to him. The best gift they brought Jesus was themselves. The gift they gave first was following. Following after this star. Long before they gave those three gifts that are iconic, they gave the gift of following after him. And the reason we start there is because that's where our journey starts too. If you don't know for sure that you've ever had a turning point moment where you said, God, I'm giving you my life. I'm following after you. Then nothing that we will discuss about this Advent season will make any sense to you. You'll feel like you're on the outside looking in. He's inviting you to give the gift of himself. And I think it's appropriate that we remember the context of this story Matthew is writing this. 
We're in the Gospel of Matthew, whose name used to be Levi, who tells his whole life-changing encounter with Jesus several chapters later in Matthew chapter 9. He says he's sitting in his his tax collector booth, and Jesus walks up to him and says two words, follow me. That's it. Before that, in Matthew chapter 4, he talks about Peter and his brother Andrew. And he talks about James and John. And in his encounter with them, Jesus says a few more words, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And so I think it's appropriate that, that Matthew understands the power of accepting the invitation to follow after Jesus. In a way that I don't think these wise men actually understood. (laughs) Matthew understands that following after Jesus is the greatest gift any of us can give. And here's what I want to say this morning. Here's the heart of everything I'm going to say today. Following after Jesus is always worth it. No matter what it costs, no matter what the opposition, no matter the discomfort, it's always worth it. Following after Jesus is always worth it. We don't sell ourselves short by following Jesus. We sell ourselves short by following after anything else. Verse number 10, we see that when they saw the star come to this place, the presence of Jesus, it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love when the Bible's just like over the top. They rejoiced exceedingly. With great rejoicing exceedingly in this, right? It's like, and, and that joy is only found in the presence of Jesus. There's nothing else that could have led them anywhere else that would have resulted in that kind of joy, just the presence of Jesus, that I believe is just as available to us today. We see that they came from the east, and that doesn't seem like a big deal to us. Me and my family moved here from the east. We moved here from the east coast almost 13 years ago. That's not like newsworthy. (laughs) Like never will somebody be like, ah, you moved from the east. What does that even mean? But at this time in history, historians tell us that most people never traveled more than 30 miles from the place that they were born in their entire lifetime. From this campus from 6824 Randall Mill Road to Dallas Love Field is 28.6 miles. (laughs) Like from here to Love Field is about the distance that the average person traveled in their lifetime from home. Is that crazy? Many of you in this room traveled more than 30 miles this week. Some of you might still be bitter about it. Especially with gas prices, what, what they are. We aren't exactly sure what East refers to, but it was more than 30 miles away. It was quite a journey. Some scholars, uh, well, the hymn says from Orient are, right? What's the Orient? Well, that means somewhere in Asia. Oh, that makes it easy to pick. Look at a map. That That's a big piece of real estate, right? Some say, uh, scholars would say that they were from southern Arabia, 
because uh, that's where you would find frankincense and myrrh, and so they'd be like, maybe they were from southern Arabia. Others think that they were somewhere uh, in the old Babylonian empire, that these were part of the Jewish people who'd been carried off into captivity, but they remained and they stayed uh, in that area, and maybe that's right. But the best guess is, among scholars, they pretty much agree, they believe they traveled around a thousand miles to make it to, Beth- to Bethlehem. Probably on a camel. That's quite, whatever you complained about traveling this past week, none of us traveled a thousand miles on a camel. And I find this fascinating. The reason that's, and I've never noticed this before. Mark Batterson pointed this out. Uh, and I, man, I've known the story of the wise men like my whole life and then just never connected the dots with me. Who did Herod ask where the Messiah would be born? The chief priests and the scribes. The most religious people alive in that time. Jerusalem to Bethlehem is about six miles. The average human being walks three miles an hour, if you didn't know that. So it's about a two and a half hour walk. Because they probably stopped at Chick-fil-A. They were spiritual. (laughs) What space is your camel parked in? We will bring your food to you. Six miles, the religious people didn't get up off the couch. Isn't that interesting? It never dawned on me before. How in the world did they not go, hey, you can have a ride with me. Let's go. All aboard. These magi that we have no clue if they understood the the significance of who this baby would become. Traveled this incredible distance to see the greatest discovery of their lives. As soon as they saw him with great joy, they fell down and they worshipped him. Because following after Jesus is always worth it. It's always worth it. Hebrews chapter 11 explains what faith is. It's not just believing that God exists. It's believing that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards us. Not with gifts, with the gift of himself. He reveals himself to those who will seek after him. It's still true today. And I just would challenge us to be honest this morning. Are we really seeking after God right now? Earnestly? Are we seeking him first and foremost today? Because Jesus would say in just a couple chapters in the most famous sermon that was ever preached, Seek first! The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. And I have spent most of my life seeking all these things and hoping that he'd show up in the midst of it. He says, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. I want this backwards. When I was young, God, I will seek you when I'm married. I'll seek you when I have kids. I'll seek you when we buy our first house. I'll seek you when the bills are paid. That moment's not going to come. So we're still, you know, give me a minute, God. i got to seek this other stuff first, you know. And the fact is, if I'm not seeking God in this season, I'm probably lying to myself to say that I'll just magically seek him in the next. Seek him first. These wise men traveled this incredibly difficult journey, this incredibly lengthy journey, following a star. Do you know how hard hard it is to follow a star? 
Some of y'all might not know this about me. I'm legally blind in my right eye. Um, I wear a contact in my good eye because <laughs> the older I get, the worse my good eye gets. But I have no vision in the, in the center of my right eye. I have only peripheral vision. And so um, I only have less than 20% of normal depth perception, right? If you ever just want to like belly laugh, challenge me to ping pong. I have no idea where that ball is, man. I'm just swinging. <laughs> oh, got it. It's bad. No doubt. I would have been the most useless wise man in the world. Be like, I have no idea. I Are we under it or is it moving? I don't know. I hope your camel has a better sense of direction because I'm blind. They followed a star. This incredible distance. And it took a long time. And man, that's the part of the story I like the least. I want God to show up and like put the star, like show me what's up right now. And these men, who I don't think even understood the significance of what they were looking for, showed more patience in the pursuit of Jesus than I have in my life. But isn't that how it works? It's usually in the most difficult moments that we find the greatest sense of his presence. In this sermon that was so meaningful to me about the star, Mark Batterson said, as I reflect on the last 12 months of my life, the sweetest moments were not the easiest moments. And maybe you would say the same. I believe the best moments, as I look backwards in the last 12 months, the moments that were, were the best were the moments I most experienced Jesus, and most of those were the hardest. Because I stopped seeking all these things and was forced just to seek after him and him enough. Following after Jesus is always worth it. And here's the best part, and this is what I love the most. Following after Jesus does not mean we have all the answers. Following after Jesus doesn't even mean we know what we're doing. Because that's the game of religion. Following after Jesus... It's just about following after Jesus. Remember, because I think this is so important, we think they were pagan sorcerers, not religious dudes. The religious dudes stayed home. We don't have to have all this figured out in order to experience the presence of Jesus this Advent season, and I think that's really good news. As a matter of fact, the more we think we have it figured out, the farther we might be from him. It's the people who have all the best answers who have seemed the coldest to me in my journey. The warmth is found in the presence of Jesus. This isn't about the super spiritual guys understanding what they were looking for and knowing how to get it. Because just like every story, we aren't the heroes. They weren't the heroes of the story. It's all about the Son of God dwelling among us. Following after Jesus is always worth it, even if we don't fully understand it. Following after Jesus always has opposition, too. Maybe not as bold and as clear and as obvious as Herod, but there's always opposition to following after Jesus. Herod told them secretly, hey, come let me know when you find him because I want to worship him. And I will just say this. I believe there's nothing more dangerous in all the world than fake worshipers. There's churches all over the world full of people claiming to worship Jesus whose heart are really just for themselves. 
this moment, look back again in verse number three. It says, when Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why wasn't Jerusalem excited? Maybe the Messiah has come. This is good news. Why would they be troubled? And here's the reason why. If you lived in Jerusalem and Herod had a bad day, you had a bad day. Have you ever been somewhere in public and someone waves at you and you wave back and they go. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, they weren't waving at me. They were, I'm an idiot. Okay. <laughs> so this is sort of like that moment. The great historian Josephus says that in 6 BC, these same people brought these same gifts to Herod. So they show back up with round two and he's like, here we go. And they're like, we're not here for you. And he goes, oh, I'm an idiot. And the problem with him feeling embarrassed is he was an incredibly self-absorbed, insecure, jealous man. Like, unfortunately, a lot of kings at that time, when he became king, he slaughtered everyone connected to the previous administration. That's not necessarily historically significant, as sad as it is. That's kind of how things worked back then. We just do it in the media nowadays. But they killed the previous administration. He also, I don't know. He also killed his wife in a fit of jealous rage. He also, in his paranoia, believed that his three sons were envious of his throne, and so he had them executed. And of all the times I've thought about killing my three boys, it was never over jealousy of me. (laughs) You know? If you don't know a lot about the Bible, there's this group of um, influential men called the Sanhedrin. Among the religious leaders, they were sort of like the Supreme Court for the judicial system of the Jewish people because it was a religious state. So they were religious leaders that governed. Um, again, the Supreme Court's the best analogy, only there was a lot of justices on the Sanhedrin. Herod did not like some of the judgments that they were making and how it reflected on him. And so he had half of them executed. I don't like your rulings. You're dead. Herod was half Jewish. And so he uh, did abide by the Jewish dietary restrictions. He did not eat pork. And so historians tell us that there was a common saying about Herod among the people of Jerusalem at this time. They would say it's safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. It's how volatile of a man that he was. Self-absorbed, insecure, entitled, jealous, thought it was all about him and always wanted more. But maybe that's not just Herod. Maybe that's always been the enemy to following after Jesus. Whether it's in somebody else's heart or our own. Making the story all about us living in our own insecurities and letting them control us and our reactions to others living entitled to more and more despite how much we already have and always being jealous of anyone else's success. Maybe that isn't just Herod's disease. It's the cancer to following after Jesus 
we can't follow after him when we're stuck in jealousy of someone else. And for some people, the the joy of Christmas season is really infected by the fact that we think someone else is having a more joyous season than us. One of the negatives of the social media reality is we're not necessarily happy for everybody else's holiday experience. We're jealous of it. And we might hit a thumb or a heart, but inside we're thinking, why do they get a better life than me? Just like the child who's not content with their toys because they think their friend or their sibling got a better toy. Many of us experience the season of comparison this time of year and not the season of contentment this time of year. Jealousy will always kill the pursuit of Jesus. But here's the most important thing I want to say today. And this is the real gift, because we've talked about giving him the gift of ourselves, and it's always worth it, and there's opposition and jealousy. But here's the most important thing I'll say today. Following after Jesus always begins with Jesus. He's the one who initiates our pursuit of him. He's the one who draws us to himself. He is the ultimate initiator He's the ultimate giver, and our following is always in response to his leading. They never would have found him without the star. In verse number two, when they come to address Herod, they say, we're looking for this this king of the Jews, for we saw his star. (laughs) It's always his star. If we ever see anything in light that's guiding us to any kind of light, it's always his. It's always his doing. It's always his drawing and his initiating. Uh, One of the sayings that you've probably heard a lot around the Christmas season, if you've been in church life for a long time, is wise men still seek him. And that's true because wisdom is a gift from God. According to the wisest person who ever lived, Solomon, wisdom is a gift. According to the little brother of Jesus, James, wisdom is a gift. And so it's true that God gifts us with the wooing towards himself. He's the ultimate gift. He's the ultimate giver. It all begins with him. About this story, T.D. Jakes said, this is the greatest gift of the story. Jesus was a living gift to a dying world still the greatest gift being given today. Psalm 119 verse 2 says, Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. I just want to tell you this morning, (laughs) I've been waiting for weeks to say what I'm about to say, and this is going to sound maybe not insightful to any of you, and yet I'm saying this from like the depth of my soul. It's not all bad news. Not everybody's miserable. Not everybody is stuck in a season of criticism. Not everybody's mad at everybody. Not everybody's miserable. Not everybody's miserable. And I feel like the noise right now is just from criticism and misery. And that's not the whole story. There are people right now who are experiencing the peace of God in the pursuit of God. Not magically and not perfectly. But it's not all bad news. It is not all bad news. 
And what's the difference in those who have a sense of peace in this season of turmoil? Are their circumstances just better than ours? Or do they understand that in the midst of a difficult season, there are gifts that reveal the gift? There are good gifts from God in our life that are not about the gift. They're about the giver. They're meant to reflect our hearts to himself. Those gifts in our life are drawing us to the giver. They're meant to be little GPS indicators going, ding, look up. And when we ignore the gifts because we're more focused on our problems, when we're focused on our fears or our discouragements, we miss the, the redirection, the rerouting towards himself. We want to spend this Advent season focusing on the goodness and greatness and hope of the greatest gift that's ever been given. That is that God would come to us and draw us to himself. And next week we'll start looking at their three gifts. At the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. But in all of that, there is powerful symbolism that points us the same direction that every gift in your life points you. Towards the giver of all gifts. He's drawing us to himself. So practically, what does it look like to follow after Jesus this Advent season? I'm going to ask you, give me your attention for five minutes. Let's talk real practical and then we'll land the plane together. What does it look like to follow after Jesus this Advent season? It probably does not look like riding a camel for a thousand miles. That's good news, right? Although it would be worth it. (laughs) I don't think that's what he's going to ask us. Maybe he's going to ask us to travel to the prayer room at the end of the season, at the end of the service. I just asked somebody to pray for over the burdens that we're carrying. Or maybe come kneel here as we do this final song and just let this become an altar to the Lord and just lay down the stuff that you're carrying. Because here's the deal. (laughs) As Maurice and I were away this past week, one of the one of the gifts of clarity that I saw is there's a lot of hurting people in this room. Just in our little family, there's a lot of people who are carrying some stuff. And here's the deal. I believe if you'll let us just lay hands on you and pray over you, your problems won't get better, but I believe they'll get lighter. That's how it works. That is how it works. Let us come alongside you. If you're worshiping online today, text PrayFW to 94000 and let us come alongside that thing that you're carrying. Because following after Jesus with baggage is a whole lot harder when we do it alone. We're all carrying baggage as we follow after Jesus. That's just the reality of this journey. But when we try to do that alone, it becomes unbearable. Let somebody come alongside you and pray for a breakthrough. Maybe this Advent season following after Jesus looks like spending more time in his word than we are listening to the noise of the world around us. I know there's some ladies that are doing an Advent devotional together uh, through She Reads Truth, which is an extraordinary resource. If you want to get connected to that, see Monica or Marisa this morning. They can connect you with that. Again, you can text PrayFW. We'll connect you with one of them. I know there's some ladies doing that, but here's the deal. In the prayer room, we have five different Advent devotionals. If doing a study feels too overwhelming because of the season you're at in life, I dig it. I hear you. 
no worries. We've got five different devotionals, including some that are for families to do together. Maybe for this Advent, let's just look a little closer at the gift, the real gift, not the ones under the tree. But let's just look to him. Maybe that's what fallen after Jesus this Advent season looks like. Maybe it looks like seeking out opportunities to be inconvenienced for the cause of Christ. Again, not riding a camel for a thousand miles, but maybe inconveniencing ourselves in other ways. Like maybe it looks like committing to go on a mission trip with us next year. I'm excited to share with you this morning that we are going to plan and try to go on a mission trip in 2022. We're not committing because we're not in control of the universe. And yes, we've seen the new variant. We're going to be wise and we're not going to be foolish about it. And so we're not going to go a super far distance like we have in the past. This year, we're going to go back to Guatemala again. We want to invite you to come with us. I went just a few months ago. Uh, we believe it's a safe trip. We believe, but here's the thing. It's inconvenient. You're going to take time off work. You're going to have to raise money. And it's not a thousand miles away. It's almost 2,000 miles away, but we get to ride a plane and not a camel. So come on, let's go. Here's the other thing that we're going to do this year, God willing. We're also going to take our students on a mission trip this year. <laughs> we planned to go to Kenya in 2020. And like with all of our 2020 plans, <laughs> that didn't happen. We don't feel comfortable going back to Kenya this year, but what we are going to do is, God willing, take our students back to Guatemala as well. So with the busyness of the holiday seasons, we're, we usually have an interest meeting about these mission trips. Usually we meet after a service to gauge your interest. Instead, what we're going to do this year is we're going to have an interest email. We're going to email you and we're going to say, are you interested in going on the adult trip? Are you interested in sending your student on the student trip? And then there's going to be a third box that you can check. Are you interested in helping somebody else do that? Because maybe the, the difficulty or the inconvenience that Jesus is calling you to is not for you to go. It's for you to send. Maybe that's what he's going to put on your heart. Maybe the inconvenience of following after Jesus this holiday season looks like serving as a volunteer at this church. It takes about 40 people per Sunday to do what we do. And we try hard to do what we do pretty simply. We try not to be this gaudy, over-the-top, ridiculous kind of ministry here. And, and even in our simplicity, it takes 40 people every Sunday for us just to do Sunday. That might not seem like a big number to you, but cranking that out 52 weeks a year is sometimes a pretty overwhelming feeling. And so for you, maybe that looks like, hey, I'm going to get in on that. that. That heavy lift will be a little bit lighter if I grab a corner. Because I'm grateful today for people who on Saturday night make a decision to set their alarm a little earlier and get up and show up in order to be a door holder in the house of the Lord. Talked a few weeks ago about ministry opportunities and I, I was given 10 levels of grief from Katie Wrench that I did not give her credit for serving at the coffee bar. And so out of sheer guilt and obligation and abuse, I just want to say, Katie, thanks for all your service. (laughs) 
in all honesty, watching how the remodel sparked uh, an interest in your heart to take ownership and to dive in is actually my favorite part of the remodel. Maybe the inconvenience of the holiday season is risking your pride by inviting somebody who might tell you no to come hear the gospel at our Christmas Eve service. Or if you're out of town on Christmas Eve, just to come to one of our Sunday services during Advent. The holiday season, they say, is when people are most likely to say yes to an invitation. And here's the deal. I'm just going to shoot real straight. For many of us in this room, we have not pursued anybody or invited anybody in almost two years since the pandemic began. And I understand for a season why it was awkward to invite people to come here when we weren't meeting here. That would have been weird. But here we are. And what we're watching during the pandemic is a huge falling away of people from church. Which just breaks my heart because I see so much despair and tension and anger in our society. And I just believe life's too hard to do it alone. And I believe God's birthed his presence among his people. When we most need each other, we're drifting from one another. And so maybe God's calling you to step outside your comfort zone. What might feel like a thousand miles. And ask that family member, that friend, that coworker, that neighbor... Hey, will you come with me on a Sunday morning? And we'll go to lunch afterwards. If everything about it's miserable, you can pick where we go to lunch. I want to close with a verse and a story. James chapter 1. I quoted a little brother of Jesus earlier. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It all has the same source. Coming down from the Father of stars. The one who sticks stars in the sky. The Father of lights. Every good gift is from Him. We spent Thanksgiving in Steamboat Springs, Colorado and uh, while we were there, the boys really wanted to see wildlife. Made that clear that they wanted to see wildlife. And the reason that's difficult is because you can't schedule that. There's not an app that says if your kids really want to see an elk, go to this place at this time. And so we asked dumb questions of the locals, like where can we see animals and when? They're like, um, it doesn't really work that way. As a matter of fact, the owners of the place where we were invited to stay were like, yeah, we never see elk here. They told us one story of one time seeing elk. Our boys really wanted to see elk. Downtown, a couple days into our trip as we were leaving the strip and going back to our place, we see a bunch of cars parked off the side of the road. And we did what tourists do. We pulled over the side of the road to see what they were looking at. And there were two big old honking elk eating out of a tree. 
right smack dab in the middle of that moment, one of our boys said, I feel like that was just from God. I could not agree more. (laughs) We saw elk two other times on the trip. (laughs) And there was a couple other moments like that on on the week that our kids had the insight to realize this isn't coincidence. This isn't just a cool experience. This is a gift from a God who's really generous with giving gifts. And I got to admit, I was warmed in my heart by their insight. It's one of, the mo- one of those moments where you're like, clearly we're great parents. And instantly the Holy Spirit was like, well, then why did they think that before you did? I spend so many of my days oblivious to the good gifts of the giver. And if this Advent we could just slow down for a second, and I know slow down sounds like speaking another language right now, but if for just a moment we could slow our hearts down and say, Jesus, we want to look towards you. You're the gift. And you're offering yourself to us in a hundred ways all around us. Because here's the final thought. While we sat on the side of the road in amazement, the locals just blew on by. Let's not lose the wonder this Advent season.